0: come, and uh, he's going to start out, praise the Lord, with John chapter 13, and he's going to go through to verse 19.
1: Good evening and praise the Lord, everybody. We're in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 19. If you have it up on the screen, fine, but I'll read it as clear as possible so y'all can hear it. I think most of you have a basic understanding of what we've been going over for about the past month now, everything leading up to the crucifixion. All very good information that we want to know and draw near to our heart every day. So starting off, John 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the, the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world under the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil ha- having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Then Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He knew what he was getting himself into there. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, he was set down again and said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord neither is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye, be, ye may believe that I am he. John chapters 13 through 17 is our Lord's farewell message to His beloved disciples. Climaxing with His intercessory prayer for them and for all of us. It's kind of like a farewell message that a president gives when he leaves office or maybe a CEO gives when he leaves a a business. There's other farewell scriptures or excuse me, farewell addresses in Scripture as well. And you'll find them delivered by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, Joshua in the book of Joshua, and by Paul in the book of Acts, chapter 20. Jesus added a significant action section to his message when he washed the disciples' feet. It was an object lesson that they would never forget. In this passage, we see our Lord in a fourfold relationship. Once to his heavenly father, once to Simon Peter, once to all the disciples, and then there's even a lesson to Judas as well. In each of these sections of John's gospel, you will discover a special message, a spiritual truth to help you in your own walk with God. And one of them is humility. Jesus and the Father is being So, and Jesus, he enters Jerusalem on Sunday, and on Monday, he cleanses the temple. On Tuesday, it was a day of conflict as the religious leaders sought to trip him up and get evidence to arrest him. Uh, And, of course, these events are recorded in Matthew 21 through 25. Wednesday was probably a day of rest, but on Thursday, he he met in the upper room with his disciples in, in order to observe the Passover, and the emphasis in John 13, one through two through 3 is what our Lord knew. And in John 13, 4 through 5, on what our Lord did. And Jesus knew that his hour was come. More than any of the other gospel writers, John emphasized the fact that Jesus lived on a heavenly timetable as he did his father's will. Note the development of this theme. In 2 and 4, it says... Mine hour is not yet come. In John 7 and 30 it says His hour was not yet come. In John 8 and 20 it says His hour was not yet come. In 12 and 23 it says the hour has come that the Son of Man, Man should be glorified. And in John 13 and 1, which I just read, it said Jesus knew that His hour was come. And then further ahead in 17 and 1 it says, Father, the hour has come. And in John 12 through 13 and 27 in the time when He would be glorified through His death, resurrection, and ascension. Now, from the human point of view, it meant suffering, but from the divine point of view, it meant glory, because He would soon leave the world and return to the Father who sent Him. That means when Jesus finishes work on earth, of course, He would complete those tasks. Now, when the servant of God is in the will of God, He is immortal until His work is done, because Jesus couldn't be arrested and he couldn't be killed because many times people tried to do so, but his hour was not yet come. And, and, of course, Jesus knew that Judas would also betray him, as he said many times and throughout Scripture and even in this past chapter. Judas is mentioned eight times in John's gospel, more than any of the other gospels. And Satan had entered into Judas. It's not mentioned in John, but it is mentioned in Luke 22 and 3. And now he would give the necessary thought to bring about the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. Now, in John 13 and 2, we talked about how it was put in Judas to do what he did. And the translated word for put means to throw. And that kind of reminds us of the fiery darts of the wicked one, which is mentioned in Ephesians 6 and 16. And Judas was an unbeliever. Even though he was around Jesus, he was really an unbeliever. And so because of that, he did not have the the shield of faith to, to ward off Satan's attacks. Finally, Jesus knew that the Father had given him all things. And this statement parallels John 3 and 35 and also reminds, and it's also brought about in Matthew 11 and 27. Even in his humiliation, our Lord had all things through his Father. He was poor but yet he became he was rich and because Jesus knew who he was where he came from and what he had and where he was going and he was a complete master of the situation you and I as believers know that we have been born of God and that we are one day going to God and that in Christ we have all things therefore we ought to be able to follow our Lord's example and serve others what Jesus knew helped determine what he did. The disciples must have been shocked when they saw their master rise up from supper, lay aside his outer garments, wrap a towel around his waist, take a basin of water, and wash their feet. Jewish servants did not wash their master's feet, though the Gentile slaves may have done so. It was a a lowly, menial task, and, and Jesus still did it. As a mark of affection, a host or hostess might wash a guest's feet, but, was no, but it was not a standard operating procedure in most homes. And Jesus knew that there was a competitive spirit in the hearts of his disciples. In fact, within a few minutes, the men were disputing over which of them was the greatest. And he gave them an unforgettable lesson in humility, and by his actions, he rebuked their selfishness and pride. And the more you think about this scene, the more profound it becomes. It's certainly an illustration of what Paul wrote years later in Philippians chapter 2. Now Peter must have recalled the event when he wrote his first epistle and urged his readers to be clothed with humility in 1 Peter 5 and 5. And then too often we have a tendency to confuse the poor in spirit with, with being just poor spirited. And true humility with timidity and inferiority the father had put all things into the son's hands yet jesus picked up a towel and a basin and his humility was not born of poverty but it was born of riches he was rich but yet he became poor and it's remarkable how the gospel of john reveals the humility of our lord even while magnifying his deity the son can do nothing by himself as it says in john chapter 5 For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, John 6 and 38. My doctrine is not mine, John 7 and 16. And I seek not my own glory, as found in John 8 and 50. The word which ye hear is not mine, John 14 and 24. And his ultimate expression of humility was his death on the cross. Jesus was sovereign, yet he took the place of a servant. He had all things in his hands, yet he picked up a towel. He was the Lord and Master, yet He served His followers. And it has been said that humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. It's simply not thinking of yourself at all. And true humility grows out of our relationship with God. And it's our desire to know and do the, the Father's will so that we might glorify His name. Then we will experience the joy following Christ's example and serving others. We today, just like the disciples that night, desperately need to learn this lesson in humility. The church sometimes can be filled with a worldly spirit of competition and criticism as believers vie with one another to see who is greater, the greatest. And sometimes I've seen preachers do that at camp meetings too. And we are growing in knowledge, but not in grace. And the lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Jesus served His disciples because of His humility and because of His love. Now contrast John 13 and 1 with 1 and 11 and three sixteen. Jesus came into His own world and His own people received Him not. For God so loved the world. In the upper room, Jesus ministered and loved to His own disciples and they received Him and what He had to say. And the Greek text says He loved them to the uttermost. Holiness is also brought about a lot in this chapter, mainly between Jesus and Peter, because as Peter watched the Lord wash his friend's feet, he became more and more disturbed and could not understand what he was doing. As you read the life of Christ in the Gospels, you cannot help how Peter often spoke impulsively out of ignorance and had to be corrected by Jesus. Peter opposed Jesus going to the cross. And he tried to manage our Lord's affairs at the Transfiguration. He expressed the faith of the, of the disciples without realizing that one of, one of them was a traitor. The word translated "wash" in John 13, five through six and eight and 12 and 14 means "to wash," when you translate that from the Greek manuscript. But the word translated "washed" in John 13 and 10 means to bathe all over. And that distinction is important because Jesus was trying to teach His disciples the importance of a holy walk. When a sinner trusts the Savior, He is bathed all over. And His sins are washed away and forgiven. And the Scripture even says itself that in their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more found in hebrews 10 and 17 however as the believer walks in this world it's easy to become defiled he does not need to be bathed all over again he simply needs to have that defilement cleansed away and god promises to cleanse us when we confess our sins to him but why is it so important that we keep our feet clean it's because if we're defiled we cannot have communion with our lord And Jesus said, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. When God bathes us all over in salvation, he brings about our union with Christ, and that is a settled relationship that cannot be changed. However, our communion with Christ depends on our keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. That's found in James 1 and 27. If we permit unconfessed sin in our lives, we hinder our walk with the Lord And that is when we need to have our feet washed. This basic truth of Christian living is beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament priesthood. When the priest was consecrated, he was bathed all over. And that experience was never repeated. However, during his daily ministry, he became defiled. So it was necessary that he wash his hands and feet at the brass laver in the courtyard. Only then could he enter into the holy place and trim the lamps, eat the showbread, or burn the incense. The Lord cleanses us through the blood of Christ, and that is His work on the cross, and through the application of His Word to our lives. The water of the Word can keep our hearts and minds clean so that we will avoid the pollutions of this world. But if we do sin, we have a loving advocate in the glory who will heal our prayers of confession and forgive us. Peter did not understand what the Lord was doing, but instead of waiting for an explanation, he impulsively tried to tell the Lord what to do. And there's a strong double negative in John 13 and 8. And and the Greek scholar translated Peter's statement to, to say, You shall by no means wash my feet, not ever, ever, ever. And Peter, he really meant it. He did not want the Lord washing his feet. Then when he discovered that to refuse the Lord would mean to lose the Lord's fellowship, he went in the opposite direction very quickly. He backpedaled immediately and asked for a complete bath. And we can learn from this important lesson from Peter. Don't question the Lord's will or work, and don't try to change it. He knows what he is doing. Now, Peter had a difficult time accepting Christ's ministry to him because Peter really was not yet ready to minister to the other disciples himself it takes humility and grace to serve others but it also takes humility and grace to allow others to serve us sometimes I like to serve others and I don't want other people serving me and I I think that's a good thing but it really isn't when I do that I'm really cheating that other person And, and 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 I struggle with that many times the beautiful thing about a submissive spirit is that it can give, both give and receive to the glory of God. John was careful to point out that Peter and Judas were in a, were in a different relationship with Jesus. Yes, Jesus washed Judas' feet, but it did Judas no good because he had not been bathed all over. Some people teach that Judas was a saved man who sent away his salvation, but that's not really what Jesus said. Our Lord made it very clear that Judas had never been cleansed from his sins and was an unbeliever. And you can find that if you go back in John chapter 6 and read through those latter passages of Scripture. It's a wonderful thing to deepen your fellowship with the Lord, and it's important to be honest with Him and with ourselves to keep our feet clean. Also spoke about a lot in this chapter is happiness. Jesus and the disciples... In John 13, 12 through 17, those scriptures there are kind of the key what's speaking about happy, happiness. It says, If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. The sequence is important humbleness or humility, holiness, and then happiness. The philosopher for Aristotle defined happiness as a good fortune joined to vir- virtue a life that is both agreeable and secure. That may work well in the discipline of philosophy, but it really will never do for a Christian believer because happiness is the byproduct of a life that is lived in the will of God. And when we humbly serve others, walk in God's paths of holiness, and do what He tells us, then we enjoy happiness. And Jesus asked the disciples if they understood what he had done and it's not likely that they did so he explained it he had given them a lesson in humble service an example of that for them to follow the world thinks that happiness is a result of others serving us but real joy comes when we serve others in the name of jesus the world is constantly pursuing happiness but it's like chasing a shadow it's always just beyond your reach Jesus was their master, so he had every right to command their service. Instead, he served them. He gave them an example of true Christian ministry. On more than one occasion during the previous three years, he had taught them lessons about humility and service. But now he had demonstrated the lesson to them. And perhaps the disciples remembered his lesson about the child or the rebuke that he gave James and John when they asked for the thrones, now it was all starting to fall into place. The servant is not greater than the master. So if the master becomes a servant, where does that put the servant? On the same level as the master, of course. By becoming a servant, our Lord did not push us down. He lifted us up. He dignified sacrifice and service. And we must keep in mind that the Romans... They didn't have any use for humility, and the Greeks despised manual labor. And Jesus combined these two when he washed the disciples' feet. And the world might ask, how, how many people work for you? But the Lord asks, for how many people do you work? There was a, a theologian by the name of G.K. Chesterton that said that a really great man is one who makes others feel great. And Jesus did this with his disciples by teaching them to serve. However, it is not just it is not enough just to know this truth. We must put it into practice. And and that's, can be verified in James one twenty two through twenty seven, where it makes it clear that the blessing comes in doing the word and not just hearing it. And I'm looking forward to hearing more to what Pastor White has to say.
0: Can you say praise the, praise the Lord? He did a wonderful job, didn't he? Praise God. I'm telling you what, he's, he's doing a wonderful job, and I appreciate that. If you'll stand with me today, praise God. I've got the second part of John, and I'm going to begin reading to you from verse 21. Uh, John 13 and 21 says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in the spirit, and testified, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciple looked on one another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he had asked who it should be of whom he spake. He then, laying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And then he had dipped the sop and gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, What thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Praise God. Judas already had betrayed Christ. He had already betrayed him at this point. He had made all of the of the arrangements with uh, uh, Caiaphas and the courts. And uh, this was the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And so Judas had already betrayed him. He just had to lead them to him now. It was done in the heart of Judas. And uh, I, I'd like to take note here that when John, when John wrote this, it's the book of John, John wrote the book, it is well believed that John wrote the book, but uh, instead of uh, John saying his name, uh, John was humble enough that he did not exalt his name or put his name in his writings, but he said, It is the one that loved Jesus. And so he uh, talked about his love for Jesus. It's the one that loved Jesus dearly, and Jesus loved him. Uh, They were close to one another. Matter of fact, so close that Jesus told John upon the cross, Behold my mother, take care of her. And so uh, I'm sure that Jesus had family, and John was probably a distant family relative, But uh, there was that love, and and John did not put his name in there. He did not exalt himself. And that's one of the things that caused um, the Lord to be able to move in through the book. Now, Peter would have wanted to exalt himself. Some of the other disciples would want to know if they could sit on his right and on his left. But John never really exalted himself. John was like, uh, you know, he never uh, put that plug in. There are people that will go through life. And they've always, always got to be acknowledged. You, you, you know you've got to acknowledge them or they're not going to do anything. Uh, and if you acknowledge them, then they'll do something. And they've always got to be acknowledged. They've always got to get the attention. And it's got to be upon them. And then there's those people that will go through life and they never care to be acknowledged for anything. I mean seriously acknowledged. You'll have people that will come and they'll say, you know... I'm going to do this, and I don't want to be acknowledged. I don't want it to be told. And you know they're wanting you to tell people. Praise God. But the, John basically did not want to be noticed. And so when he wrote it, he said the one that Jesus loved. He, he needed to pinpoint it, but he did not want it to be known. And even at that, praise God, he was known for it. Amen. He didn't want to bring tension to himself. Amen. But what amazes me was Judas was, could be called a spy. Praise the Lord. And I don't know if you thought about a spy. A spy is a person, a, a good spy like Judas has to be really good in the fact that he never draws attention to himself. He knows how to def- deflect, praise God, suspicion. If anybody has suspicion, because remember, they're all sitting around saying, Jesus says, one of you is a traitor. One of you is a devil. And they're all looking at each other. Peter's looking at John and saying, you know, and they're all saying, is it I? Is it I? And Judas is right along with them. Lord, is it I? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? And Judas was so much of a traitor Amongst the disciples, to the point they did not recognize him. Now John said to, or Peter said to John, "John, ask who it is." And uh, John must have whispered to uh, Judas or to Jesus or to Jesus, because Jesus uh, he said to John, "He said, the one that I dip in the sop with, that's the one that's going to do, to betray me." And so Judas is even at that point. John doesn't pick up on the fact that Judas. because I want to tell you something, if them disciples knew to the extent of what Judas was going to do, they would have at least not let him leave the room. Praise God. But Judas was so good. Here's what I'm saying to you today. One of the things that we can learn, and I am so excited about this serious series that we're going through because we're right on timing for Easter Tim is doing a wonderful thing of bringing things to us that can be learned. I'm doing my best to do the same thing because if we don't learn from the past, we're destined to make that mistake in the present and in the future. You have to be careful who your leader is. Putin. Hitler. Praise God. When Judas had a problem, when She broke that alabaster jar over the feet of Jesus and on his head. He claimed it was for the poor. It could have been. And all the rest of them were like, yeah, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Man, he's a traitor. You have to be careful who you follow. You have to be careful who you listen to. you got to be careful on your job. You don't know what is happening. You need to look at things with an open eye. And an open heart. And understand. And you're, if you got the Holy Ghost. And you're in any kind of ministry or leadership. Your Holy Ghost will put a check mark in your heart. Yeah. And you'll know in the Holy Ghost. No, something's wrong here. But you see, they all looked around. Judas, Judas looked down the table. You know, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And they were saying, you know, is it me? Is it me? Who is it? Who is it? And Judas is saying, who is it? Who is it? Think about that. Amen. Because he was a traitor. And the good thing about a good traitor is, once again, they know how to deflect attention. They know how to uh, get out of a situation. You know, what do you mean? Oh, my God, Jesus, I can't believe there's a devil here, Judas would say. You know, and everybody would be like, well, it can't be Judas. And so it's an amazing thing to me. Amen. That Judas was able to do that. Praise God. No one knew that Judas was the spy or the traitor. Even when Jesus called him out. Dipped with him in the sop. I'm not, I don't think Jesus told all the disciples. I think he just mentioned it to John. And then he dipped with Judas. And then later John said to Peter, you know what? It must be Judas that's the traitor. Not knowing that within a few hours, Judas was going to meet them on the path and they were going to overtake Jesus. Praise God. But none of the disciples knew. They just thought when he got up, we just thought he was going to give something to the poor because according to that time period... He man, according to the Passover, one of the things everybody had to do was find somebody poorer than them and give them something. That was part of the, their uh, tradition. So Judas was going to give to the poor. Just figured that's what it was. Just figured that's what it was. And so Judas pulled it right over their heads. He sure did. Praise God. It is amazing to me that Jesus allowed him to operate under the radar. Amen. Jesus allowed him to operate. You know, that's the thing about the Lord. And that is, Jesus could have called him out right then. I don't know about you, but if I got a traitor in the room, I'd want to call him out. Hey, I know you're stabbing me in the back, and you might as well let everybody around here know it. I know you talk about me like you do. Another thing was, when Jesus was being tried... And Peter denied him three times. And they said to Jesus, art thou the Christ? Jesus looked over at Peter and he could have said, hey, there's my head disciple. And Peter was just saying, no, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And the Bible said Jesus looked at him when the cock crewed. Jesus very easily could have looked over and said... Hey, there is my number one disciple that I said upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. Ask Peter over there. But you see, Jesus lets them stay under the radar because he does not want them to change unless they change from the heart out. You think well? I can make somebody live for the Lord. I've had people say to me. I had someone come to me one time say, "You need to preach this." I said, "Hey, well, wait a minute." <laughs> I said, "You could tell me to preach that, and I could preach it a thousand times. And it ain't do no good. But the Holy Ghost tells me some night to preach it, and I do. It's going to do works because God it, God's not going to force people. People say, well. You know, in and, and some churches, they'll force you. They'll embarrass you from the pulpit if you don't live for the Lord. Praise God. They'll, they'll make an embarrassment of you. Amen. And, and someone said to me one time, they said, what are you going to do about what they're doing? I said, I'm going to do exactly what Jesus is doing. Nothing. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Jesus wanted Peter to live from the heart out. Jesus wanted Judas. He could have called him out, humiliated him. Someone said, well, I wanted to humble him. You don't humble people. You humiliate people. God humbles people. Praise God. If you think, well, they just needed to be humbled, and I needed to do something to humble them. You don't humble them. You humiliate them. But you don't humble him. Humbleness comes from the heart out. And Jesus wasn't going to humble, supposedly, Judas. He would have humiliated him. So he let him live under the radar, hoping that he could change. And there's no doubt in my mind that Judas was not forced to do what he did. Judas did it out of his own heart. Jesus knew there comes a point in time in life where the Lord knows you go past the point of making the right decision. You can get so far. The Bible talks about it and you can get so far that the Lord just all of a sudden shuts you off. You you've had all the chances you need to have. You've been preached to enough, you've been told enough. So That's it. From this point on, amen, uh, you know, from this point on, you know, Judas, Satan's going to enter in, and you, you know, it's almost like Judas was like, Jesus was reaching out to him, 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 him. and Judas was um, rejecting him, rejecting him, rejecting him, and finally Jesus was like, okay, we're done. I'm no longer reaching out to you. Mm -hmm. And so now, you're going to have to deal with the devil the hard way. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Amen. You see, the instant that Judas was gone, this was amazing to me. The instant that Judas was gone, the atmosphere cleared. And Jesus began to instruct his disciples, which we're going to learn in chapter 14. Praise God. And probably fifteen. But Jesus began to work with his disciples and to prepare them for the crucifixion and his ultimate return to heaven. It was after Judas' departure that he instructed the Lord's Supper. That's when he gave them the Lord's Supper. It's not in John chapter 13, I don't think, at least in my part. I don't think it was in yours. But he instructed them on the Lord's Supper. Amen. And it was also there that he began to talk to them as he would. But you see, after that to Judas' departure, uh, he, was instructed, he instructed them on the Lord's Supper. Uh, something that Judas was, as an unbeliever, certainly could not share in. He, Judas could not share in the, in, in the Last Supper. Judas was out in the night. He was controlled by the prince of darkness, Satan. But Jesus was in the light, sharing the love and the truth to his beloved disciples. What a what an amazing contrast that had to be. Praise God. You see, the word love here is used 20 times from John chapter 1 to John chapter 12. But now that Jesus is ending up his ministry from John chapter 13 to John chapter 21, he uses it, the word love 44 times. 44 times. Praise God. But the amazing thing was Peter did not even know his own heart. I'm going to tell you something tonight. We don't know our own heart. There are times in your life when you think, oh, I got that covered. I have forgiven that person. And then all of a sudden they do something to you. And what rears up inside of you? I can't believe that. That's, they treated me like that 50 years ago. Now it's happening again. Can you believe that? Peter didn't know his own heart. Praise God. But the amazing thing about Peter was, amen, Peter wanted to live for God. You know, we can have all the problems. I used to laugh. It's 30 years ago, so I can talk about it. Nobody would ever guess who it is. But there was somebody I pastored one time. I said, she gets messed up all the time. The only nice thing about her is she's very easy to correct. I said, she really gets messed up all the time. But the nice thing about it is she's easy to correct. She takes correction real good. Praise God. And, you know, we we can mess up. But as long as we love God and want to live for God. Peter screwed up. Peter got it messed up. Peter Peter knocked the balls out of the park at times. But on the other hand, Peter swung at things he shouldn't have swung at. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to read the, the rest of the scriptures. Verse 34. J- Jesus said, A new covenant I give you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, and ye also love one another. But this shall all men know, that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Where the goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whether I go, thou canst not follow me. Now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why canst I follow thee? I will lay down my life for thee, for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down the life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow, till thou hast denied me thrice, three times, praise God. Now, it starts out here where Jesus says, amen, this is my commandment, amen. This is my new commandment. And did you realize that he quoted an old commandment? Love one another. That's in Deuteronomy. That's an old commandment. Jesus said it's a new commandment. Praise the Lord. And it's an old commandment. Though the commandment was given even by Moses to love God and one another, he says this is a new commandment. And the reason that he did that was because it was a new dispensation of love. It was to be as I have loved you, Jesus said. You see, I can't love in my flesh. Jesus told him in the Old Testament, you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's incapable for us to do because we don't have the love inside of us. We don't, we, 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 we naturally are selfish, we're naturally do not have that love. Everybody hear me today, you lovers. You got boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands and wives. If you want to love each other, the real way that love is to made to be, you will do it through Jesus. You see, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. He said, I'm going to have you love as I love you. You see, it's the Holy Ghost that was given on the day of Pentecost that gives us the power to love one another. I would never be the good husband, as good a husband as I am, or... My wife, as good a wife as she is, if we did not live in the Holy Ghost. And we did not love through Jesus. See, Jesus said this is a new commandment. And he's saying that I want you to love as I have loved you. In other words, praise God, I don't want you to love because the Old Testament says to love. The law says to love. I want you to love because I say to love. And Jesus went a little deeper than that. You know, Deuteronomy said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, It's deeper than that now, because you're doing it through me. And he says, It's not just the acts now, but it's the acts of the heart also. He said, If a man looketh upon a woman and lusteth after her, he hath already committed adultery. So he said, Praise God. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And that commandment, praise God, is that you love one another as I have loved you. So, praise God. I'm giving you the example of what the love is. So we have to love each other in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. You see, his love included giving his life as a sacrifice. That is what he wanted them to do. He said, I want you to give your life as a sacrifice. The Bible tells us making our bodies a living sacrifice. He said, now, he said, I want you to love as I loved, And he said, I want you to give my life as a sacrifice. How could I think about giving my life as a sacrifice if I get mad at somebody that pulls in front of me and get angry with them? You know, I heard something today it was really good. And that is, God wants us to love people and use things. But that's not what we do. We use people and love things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it again. God wants us to love people and use things. But that's not what we do. We love things and we use people for what we want. Mm -hmm. Praise God. But Jesus says, as I have loved you. That's why he washed their feet. Praise God. Now, some people say, well, if you don't make someone wash one another's feet, they shouldn't be part of the kingdom of God. Well, you've just blown the whole attitude of that situation out. Because the point of the matter is, amen, okay, maybe you don't wash somebody's feet. But what can you do that would... Uh, Humiliate, or not humiliate, humble yourselves and exalt them. We're living, see, back then, it was a custom if somebody came in and sat down that you'd wash their feet. That's a custom. We don't have that custom anymore. We got shoes on. We got situations with feet where that doesn't work so well. So some people that they don't want you dealing with their feet. And it's not because they're pride, pride. it's just because it bothers them. So, when you look at it, what can you do that would accomplish the same situation? Brother Leon, give me your shoes, I'm going to shine them up for you for Sunday night. You understand what I'm saying? Brother and Sister Smith, I'm going to take your car home. I'm going to wash it, vacuum it out. Praise God. And keep all the change I find. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen. And and that's the attitude behind it. Praise the Lord. Peter had the wrong attitude. When Jesus looked to Peter and said, Peter said, you ain't going to wash my feet. He's proud. You did a really good job. There are times when you have, when you're able to give and there are times when you can't be too proud to take. When somebody can give to you. Sometimes people are too proud to take. And they say, oh, I don't want to take. Well, you're too proud to take. You got, it's humbling to take. Sometimes it's humbling when you've got to take. My wife and I have been in situations, especially when we started the church, we were humbled in the fact that we had to take. We were on food stamps. Yeah, but we had to take. Amen. And then there were times when we could give. Praise the Lord. Amen. But love includes that. We need to love people and use things. Not use people and love things. You see, his his love including giving their lives, praise God. Peter got that part. Peter got, Lord, I love you. I'm going to give. I'm going to give my life. I'm willing to die for you. Praise God. Amen. Jesus, of course, knew the trauma that was about to begin to happen that night, and he knew what Peter was going to do. He knew, amen, that Peter said that he would go anywhere. He wanted to warn Peter of what was going to happen. You see, if Jesus told Peter, look, before, he man, the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice. And Peter did it. And the cock crew, when Peter felt the shame, he would have also felt, praise God, the fact that Jesus knew it was going to happen and he gave me hope. Now, the amazing thing about Peter was, praise God, and that is Peter had the zeal, but Peter had the pride also. I'm going to do it. Look what his statement is. I don't care where you go or what happens. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to die with you. That's what Satan did. I will be lifted up. I will do this. I will do that. And Jesus looked at him, and that was the problem. And that was Peter was going in self. He wasn't going in the Holy Ghost. He should have backed up in the Lord and said, Okay, Lord, what is the will? Is it the will of God for me to go? Is it the will of God for me to die? What is the will of God? You see, on the day of Pentecost, the problem with Peter was he was in self. That's why he couldn't stand up to the damsel and tell her, yes, I'm part of him. Because he was living in self. He couldn't, he, could, he, he, he was going in self. He was doing the right thing, but he was doing it, praise God, under the wrong power. When you live for the Lord... You've got to live according to the Holy Ghost. You've got to let the Holy Ghost live inside of you. I'm I'm going to be honest with you today. And you've heard me say it many of times. I would never be, praise God, where I'm at today if it wasn't the Holy Ghost that got me there. It's the Holy Ghost. I'm no dummy. Praise God. I know how I've gotten where I'm at today. It's the Holy Ghost that got me there. And every victory I've ever won, I've won it through him. Praise God. I've won it through the Holy Ghost. Peter got out there and he wasn't in the Holy Ghost. I'll never die with you. I'll never, I'll I'll go with you. I'll be willing to die for you. Mm -hmm. And although his heart was right, praise God, his logic was wrong. And the Lord said, You're, you're," you know, but on the day of Pentecost, he stood up in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was inside. This was at it that was spoken of the prophet Joel in the last days, I will pour my spirit out. And he starts letting them have it. I'm wondering if that damsel's standing back there saying, Didn't he tell me he didn't know him? Breeze, God. But you see, he did it under the unction of the Holy Ghost. So when you go out, go according to the Holy Ghost. Live according to the Holy Ghost. But that's one of Peter's problems. Peter was self-confident. Praise God. But he was, he was sincere. But he was self-confident. And I'm glad Jesus told him. He said, look. He said, you will fall. And when you fall, I will pray That you make it right, and when you make it right, or get right, he says, help your brothers that fall. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm telling you, when you come to live for the Lord, you're going to fall. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have problems. Mm -hmm. You're not going to always get it right. But you ask God to forgive you, and you wipe it clean. And you get up and you go forward. Maybe you haven't been coming to church like you should. Maybe you haven't been praying like you should. Maybe you haven't been reading your Bible like you should. Maybe you haven't been treating me as good as you should. Just kidding. Praise God. I wanted to see who was sleeping and who was not. But I could tell who laughed, who was sleeping and who was not. No matter what it is you've been messing up on, just ask God to forgive you and move on. Praise God. Amen. And understand, I got to do it through the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came to me many years ago, and I'm getting ready to close. And the Holy Ghost said to me in my very young ministry, he reminded me of who I was. He reminded me of just the negative side and just told me that, you know, I was never going to be anything, that, you know, I struggled with speaking. I struggled with getting up in public. I struggled with all that stuff. And, he, you know, and I just told him, I said, you know, number one, Lord, number one, Satan, I said, God can do anything. Number two, God has forgiven me of all my sins. I said, number three, God nor myself is going to listen to you. I said, get behind me. I'm going to do what I can. I don't think there's anybody else that I told someone the other day, I said, I am very good at getting out of situations because I seem to be very good at getting in them. Praise God. But I want to get it done. I want it. I want God to do something. And Peter wanted God to do something. And he'd get his foot in his mouth every once in a while. Praise God. And he would go out there in self confident And when he did, he did stupid stuff like this. But then when he got up on the day of Pentecost, he cleared out the plates by hitting the home run. There'll come times when you get a home run in your relationship with God. And when you do, it just clears out all the plates. Praise God. But you just tell God, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. But you have to live under the unction of the Holy Ghost and not under self. Praise God. You see, Christ Christ must have first died for Peter before Peter can die for him. Amen. Let no man think he can do anything good without the assistance of God. Peter's denial should be an eternal warning to our self-confident, praise God, to the self-confident person. Amen. If you're self-confident, then Peter's denial should warn warn you that I can't do this in self-confidence. I have to do it in the Holy Ghost. And the way you do it in the Holy Ghost is you don't rush to decision. You pray about it, Lord, you know. Now, if the light turns green, don't sit there and pray about it because they'll blow the horn behind you. <laughs> but there are things that you've got to do and decisions you have to make and you pray about it, praise the Lord. And once you really pray about it a lot, then all of a sudden it's like you've got a single line into heaven And it just comes naturally. You just know to do it. You know to do it. But if you want to live successfully, you have to live by the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Can everyone say amen? Amen. Let's all stand. God bless. Uh, Lord, we love you, God, and praise you, Jesus, for this night. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your spirit, asking us to go with us. Lord, help us to be, amen, uh, great in you. And God, we're going to give you all the praise and glory and the honor. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Can everyone say amen? Amen. And I want to give a shout out to Sister Jessica that ran our live stream tonight. Praise God.